Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Story time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When I was 20, I had a job driving a long-haul truck. And one fateful night, 
I found myself on the lonesome road heading home around 10 p.m. My place was situated several miles north of town, right off a quiet state highway, a route I had traveled countless times. As I cruised down the dark, desolate road, my mind wandered through the events of the day, and I could feel the fatigue settling in. The only source of light was my truck's headlights, casting a small bubble of visibility ahead. But then, something caught my eye, a glowing orb rising above one of the mountains. At first, I thought it was the moon, as it appeared to be a perfect, round sphere, bathed in that pale, ethereal light. But then, the strangest thing happened. This moon began moving at a speed no celestial body should ever be capable of. It darted behind the mountain, as if it had somewhere to be, leaving me bewildered and staring after it. I continued my journey, albeit with an uneasy feeling in the pit of my stomach. The rest of the drive home was spent wrestling with thoughts of what I had just witnessed. Something about it was entirely off-kilter, and it didn't sit right with me. The full moon should never move like that. By the time I reached home, I was super freaked out. Before heading inside, I took one last look at the night sky, perhaps hoping for a rational explanation or some sign that it was just my imagination playing tricks on me. And there it was, high up in the sky, the real moon, casting its soft, silvery glow on the world. Whatever I had seen earlier, darting behind that mountain, was unquestionably not the moon. I shuddered at the thought of what it might have been. It remained an unsettling mystery, one that would haunt my thoughts for nights to come. As a professional trucker, I had crisscrossed countless highways and byways, but several years back, I found myself in an eerily memorable situation while visiting my best buddy in Vernal, Utah. He'd forewarned me about a stretch of highway notorious for violent crimes, mysterious disappearances, and chilling tales of scalpings. At the time, I'd brushed off his warning as a ribbing, convinced he was just messing with me, so I playfully called him out on it. It was a beautiful sunny day when I departed Vernal to make my way back to Idaho, a couple of weeks later, just as the clock ticked close to midnight. The terrain was shrouded in darkness as I pressed forward on the lonesome road. My skepticism about my friend's ominous tales had me at ease. After all, my daytime journey had been nothing more than a routine drive. However, as the minutes rolled by, a sense of unease started to creep in. Suddenly, my truck's headlights caught something up ahead, sending a shiver down my spine. There, in the middle of the road, was an SUV, its emergency blinkers flashing desperately, and its driver and passenger doors wide open. It straddled the highway, partially blocking both lanes. My heart raced, and my mind raced back to the warnings from my friend. His stories about this very road, the bizarre occurrences, the inexplicable disappearances, they all came rushing back. I knew I couldn't afford to take any chances. My foot slammed the accelerator, and I made a split-second decision to veer off the road, just enough to slip past the open doors of the stranded SUV without stopping. I'm reporting a possible dogman sighting based on the information provided by my son and his friend. This incident took place in Montgomery, Massachusetts. 
As a four-wheel enthusiast, my older son has become familiar with the off-roading trails and rural routes he and his friends regularly use, often venturing out at night. On this particular occasion, they were in his Ford Explorer, following a familiar route in a rural town through a remote wooded area. Since it was winter, the plows had ceased maintenance at a certain point, creating a snowbank that marked the town's abandoned maintenance of the unpaved road for the season. Further use of this road was left to those who dared to venture. As my son recounted, he navigated through the snowbank and drove along the winding mountain road. He was concentrating on his driving, keeping his focus on the road, while his close friends sat in the front passenger seat. Suddenly, his friend exclaimed, Look, what is that? My son didn't take his eyes off the road because he wanted to stay on course, but his friend pointed to where the strange figure had gone. My son quickly swung his truck around and illuminated the area with his off-road lights and headlights. His friend described the creature as running like a wolf but not exactly a wolf. He said it was large, similar to a bear but not a bear. The creature had long hair and was lighter in color than a brown bear, more of a grayish hue. They both sat there for a minute, staring into the darkness. Then, suddenly, something pushed the SUV from behind, causing it to slide along the muddy, snowy road for a short distance. Startled, they both whipped their heads around, only to see the blackness of the night through the rear window. My son quickly started the truck and sped away from the area, not catching another glimpse of the mysterious creature. My son insisted that it couldn't have been the same creature his friend had spotted because, once he had illuminated the area with the truck's lights, they should have seen movement against the white snow. Another one of my friends insisted that this was a Bigfoot, as he had encountered one eight years ago. However, the description of the creature seems to better match that of a dog man. This experience, whatever it was, is absolutely true. This story is actually my dad's. Every other summer, he and a few of his friends go over to Maine to do some bass fishing. The encounter happened at around 2 to 3 in the morning. My dad got out of his tent because he had to take a pee. As he was relieving himself, he heard a snap about 25 feet away. He looked up and saw nothing. To make sure it wasn't a predator, he shone his flashlight in the general direction. The woods were really thick, so he didn't see much, except for a pair of eyes. He couldn't really tell how high up off the ground they were. Being the person he is, he walked towards it, and as he did, whatever the thing was ran away. My dad got a better look at it. He says that it was around 8 feet tall and smelled pretty bad, like trash. He told his friends the next day, but they decided to stay the rest of the week because my dad didn't feel that the Bigfoot wanted to hurt them, but was just more curious. He came home and told me, and now, a few years later, I'm sharing this with you. I really hope that one day I could see what he saw, so I can fully believe that this world is actually a strange one. I live near Warren, one of those cities where downtown is the only part with actual businesses and the rest is a gridlock system of cheap homes. 
One night I was helping a friend of mine and a group of people install new chairs into our local movie theater since we all know the owner and because of this we were out pretty late. We got out of the chair installation activity at around 2 in the morning and drove to McDonald's where when we walked in we saw all the staff in back room having an actual straight up orgy. This isn't remotely important to the story but I thought it was pretty funny so there you go. Obviously we did not get our McDonald's so we all parted ways and went driving to our respective homes. As I was driving through one of the grids of houses I stopped at one of the stop signs and looked down the dark road to my left and then my right. Each intersection in the grid has a single yellow-orange light perched above it and below the one at the far intersection I saw a young child who I can only assume was around 13 with some other girl who looked pretty close to them holding their hand, she looked about 20. I didn't really think anything of this because although it was late my sister and I have a close relationship and late night walks in the dark aren't really uncommon in my family. My family is directly descended from the Hungarian gypsies so sleep is essentially optional and we're always ready for an adventure. I drove on past the sign and stopped at the next one. It was late and I was just taking my time getting home. I checked left and then right but lingered a bit on the right path. It was a little hard to see at first but upon a bit of inspection I could see what looked like the same two people but slightly closer to me, out of the light of the street lamp. Okay, that's kinda bizarre, but it's probably just a coincidence. I know some people who like walks and the weather is pretty clear tonight, must just be two different groups of people enjoying the nice night. I edged forward and gently careened to the next stop sign. I was a little on edge because the odds of a coincidence like that were pretty low around where I live so I checked my right flank first. There they were. The same two people, just slightly closer than when I had last seen them. I'm a huge fan of horror. Horror movies, horror games, horror books, even the underappreciated genre of horror music. Because of this I didn't even bother looking left, I just floored it. I sped aggressively to the next stop sign and since it was so late and I didn't have to worry about traffic I kept my eyes trained to my right side to see if they would move closer yet again. I pushed the car down the straight and narrow asphalt pathway at a hearty 60-something, quite a fast pace for a 25 miles per hour zone. As I approached the next intersection I saw, sure enough, that the two had moved closer yet again. There were two more intersection in this grid before I got to a main road so I just pushed my car for all it was worth, which isn't much considering it was a slowly dissolving Jeep Cherokee from 1995. Those final two intersections yielded similar results in the advancing girls department and once I reached the main road I turned down and settled to an acceptable speed. Since that encounter I've seen nothing of these girls but this paired with some other shit I've been through during my life is the reason I will unequivocally advocate for the existence of ghosts in one capacity or another. I had worked for the National Motors Auto Specialties for well over 20 years before I retired in 1963. As time passed, I found myself spending more and more of my days in the woods around my house off Griffiths Road in Casa Pulos. It was no surprise to my neighbors when they spotted me walking through the woods with my green backpack on in the Newton Woods. However, what came as a shock to everyone was when I stopped the Smith family from walking toward the Dow Agea Creek. 
I insisted that they needed to call the sheriff. They did as I suggested, and soon enough, deputies arrived to investigate the reported discovery of a body. After examining the scene, they determined it was the remains of multiple deer carcasses. But I maintained that I had stumbled upon something far more extraordinary. I told the police and the gathering witnesses that I had encountered a large, red-haired animal that weighed as much as a truck, emerging from the pile of carrion. The creature had barked at me before entering the creek and heading west. Helen Smith, who spoke with me, believed my account, saying, you cannot fake that kind of reaction. Elmer was a tough guy, but when he came up the path, he was shaking and sweating. The deputies on the scene reportedly informed the witnesses that the deer carcasses would be removed, and the woods would be open for exploration. Nevertheless, the family that had been speaking with me chose to leave. In August 1993, I was a deputy sheriff in Pierce County, Washington. I was a part of a search for a missing hiker. We had split up into single searchers early into the investigation. I was assigned to an area near Evans Creek Preserve. This area was state land, but adjacent to federal land. It was approximately 2.15 p.m. and the weather was overcast. The woods can become very dark in this area, though I was familiar with the general location. As I conducted my search for the missing hiker, I encountered an unknown entity that was staring at me. It was several hundred feet away but I could make out that it was human-shaped but very large and tall. I cautiously approached the individual. As I got closer, it was obvious that this man was nude and that he was of tremendous size. I was within 50 yards or so when he bolted to my right into the deep dark woods at a speed that was completely impossible for a human being to achieve. I yelled for him, or it, to stop, but he continued to run away. My instincts told me that this giant may somehow be involved in the disappearance of the hiker. By this time, I had drawn my weapon. I was hesitant to call for help or to report what I had witnessed. I was even questioning myself as to what this could have been. Was I hallucinating this giant being? I tried to follow the giant man, but it was simply impossible to do so. After 15 minutes or so, I was getting spooked and decided to find my way back to the trail and continue with the search for the hiker. I'll admit, I was fearful of being ambushed by the giant man. The giant man was at least 12 feet in height, very muscular in build, olive skin with no visible hair. He was completely nude. I didn't get close enough to describe facial features but the head was enormous and oval shaped. He never made any sounds. It just seems impossible that anything of that size really exists. The hiker was eventually found nearer to Mount Rainier, which was east of my location. I remained with the department for another three years until I moved to Oregon and started working for a security firm. After my encounter with the giant, I was much more wary of the outdoors. I still question what I witnessed that day, but I never told anyone, other than my wife and a close friend, about the incident. I'm not sure if they believed me. I have never heard of any related sightings here in the Pacific Northwest. This is why I contacted you. Have you ever heard or read of a similar sighting or encounter? Do the giants really exist? Thanks for your time.
I grew up in western New York near Rochester, not too far from the Canadian border. My dad built a mini mansion that backed up to the forever wild woods. That's the New York state program that keeps the wilderness as is. Once the house was built the woods became the playhouse for myself and my closest friend DJ. It is the early 1990s and we love being outside. One day while exploring we found an amazing section about 50 minutes walk into the woods that was a gorgeous swamp full of flowers and life. I remember approaching it there were snap trees all around and straight branches jammed into the ground like spikes. The solid land went into the swamp like a peninsula. The trees were almost like walls on each side that funneled us out onto it. We approached the water and saw snapping turtles quickly submerged. Being kids we started skipping rocks and throwing boulders to get splashes, just doing what kids do. Then out of nowhere DJ and I felt a wave of fear, sort of a sixth sense. Our hair stood up, we were both looking around for what triggered this primal feeling. DJ pointed to a tree across the water and I can only describe it as if the top half was bending back and forth, not like the wind was gently pushing it but like it was close to snapping. Left, then right, back and forth. It was bending, creaking loud, over and over, quicker and quicker. The bottom of the tree barely moved. Then out of nowhere, there was this rumbling growl that was so loud it shook our insides. I've been around loud things before and even learned to shoot an 8-gauge black powder shotgun. No sound compared to the force of this. Picture your soul getting pushed out your back and then springing back inside like a giant invisible rubber band. In the pierced silence of this, we both ran for our effing lives. The whole way home we ran through bushes and branches ripping up our exposed skin. We both thought we could hear pursuit all around us but said nothing. Once home, we tried sharing what happened with my parents but they wouldn't listen. We decided to stay inside for the rest of the day. As usual, DJ was spending the night and we decided to crash in the support, a 25 by 25 foot room filled with double hung windows on two exterior walls, a sliding glass door that led to a three-story deck, and a French door that led to a formal living room. Dad had worked hard. He went from a garbage man to a business owner so this house was massive. Anyway, DJ was on the couch while I lay on the floor in front of the TV with a Nintendo. It was summer so all the double hung windows were open wide. I stretched out with my arms behind my head my neck on a couple of pillows and my fingers were interlaced. My hands were sort of folding up the back of my head with elbows flared out. DJ was out and snoring and I was half asleep watching something on the TV. As God is my as my witness, out of nowhere I felt a massive hand engulf both my hands and part of my wrist and pull me toward the windows. I moved a good two to three feet and effing lost it, screaming in terror. It released me and within a minute my dad ran in. DJ was silent and just staring at me. I told my dad what happened. So he went to each window and said the screens were all slid down and in place. He said that it was just a dream, for me to man up and shut up. I shut up and prayed he'd just go back out. I looked at DJ and asked him if he had seen it. He just looked at me and didn't say anything about it. He ended up calling his parents and getting picked up in the middle of the night. I went upstairs and tried to sleep in my room. The next day, 
I called DJ's house to see if he wanted to come over and his mom said he didn't feel good, and to not call again until I heard from him. This confused my 12-year-old mind. We never got together again after that. I'd see him occasionally. He was cold with me every time. Eventually, at the end of summer, I ran into him on the canal path, one of our fishing spots, and decided to question him. His mom wasn't there to be the buffer. He finally confessed that on that night, for some reason, he awoke and saw a predator grab and pull me. He didn't use that specific word, instead, he described a massive clear, but distorted shimmer thing that reached in and grabbed me. I never knew others had seen this cloak of invisibility. I now refer to it as a predator. Did it lift the screen up slide easily enough and then close it that quick? Did it somehow pass through the fiberglass mesh? I just don't know. I looked in the morning but saw no tracks and DJ thought it was a ghost. I didn't put it all together until much later as an adult. I think it followed me home after we trespassed on its turf. It could have hurt us easily at any time but it didn't. I almost think it had a sick type of humor and enjoyed terrifying us a little bit. I never went that far back in the woods after that. My wife and I witnessed a dogman looking creature, possibly a dueyo, Monday night August 7th 23 while driving northbound on Route 65, Sharpsburg Pike, south of Rockland Drive just south of Hagerstown. Maryland at approximately 22 hours EST. We had just left the ACNT, a CNT travel center, that's located at the intersection of Route 65 and Lappins Road after eating dinner there. It was dark out with the only light illumination being that from my own headlights, some street lights, and headlights from a single approaching car. At the initial time of witnessing the creature, the approaching car was approximately 500 feet in front of us. I was driving and my wife was in the front passenger seat. As we were approaching Rockland Drive, something immediately caught my attention in my left peripheral. When I looked over, I saw what appeared to be a dogman-looking creature running at a super-fast pace right towards the road from an open field. I quickly realized that if I maintained my own driving speed I might actually hit it if it continued coming across the road so I immediately came down pretty hard on the brakes. As it got closer to the road, my headlights put some limited illumination on the creature but I never got closer than approximately 25 to 50 feet from it. As soon as I hit my brakes, my wife exclaimed, what the hell is that? As it got up by the road, the approaching car started to make it harder to see due to its own headlights and we lost sight of it, never to be seen again once the car had passed us. We don't know if the creature crossed behind the passing car or not as we never witnessed it actually come onto the road. As crazy as it sounds, I don't know if it actually may have hurtled our vehicles and we didn't see it do that or what. With its speed and build, I would have to say that it very well may have had that ability to do so but obviously, I can't say for any certainty. We were both very shaken by what we had just witnessed. I grew up in the Fresno County and Kings County area of California. Strange things are going on for sure. My dad and I had an experience one night while driving on a foggy country road at night. It was extremely foggy, and you could barely see the road. 
but I noticed a red light was following us above the power lines. I thought that was strange so I asked my dad who would be crazy enough to fly a plane above the power lines on a foggy night? He thought that was weird too, so he pulled over to have a look. That's when it got weird. I don't know why, and still can't explain it, but I completely panicked and begged my dad to please not get out of the car. The last thing I remember is curling up in a ball on the floor to hide. I don't know why. I remember nothing after that. And my dad would never talk about it. No matter how many times I brought it up. My dad passed away over 10 years ago, so now I'll never know what happened when he got out of the car. But I will tell you this, after that happened, I was totally terrified of my bedroom window at night. I would wake up so scared I couldn't move. And when I finally could, I'd run into my parents' room and crawl into bed with them. This didn't happen before the incident, but after. My dad was really never the same after the incident. He was withdrawn and not as outgoing as before. My mom noticed the changes as well. I don't know if he confided in her, but she has never mentioned anything about the night in question. I just suppose that he never told her what happened either. We moved up north to Modesto for a couple of years. And never had any more nighttime freakouts. But I still feel chills when I remember the whole thing. I'm packed and ready to leave, so I've got some time to write all this down. Grandpa is talking with the two trucks that just pulled up. Still waiting on the last one. Then we're headed north. For now, I've got time to kill. I always meant to do this, and it's officially now or possibly never. Fair warning, this is a long one, folks. 8 pages. Buckle up. And if anyone in East Texas wants to tag along, message me. We're taking as many people as we can get. My hands tugged down at the pillow on my head. It didn't help. This was the third night in a row they were unhinged in the tree line, and my room at the end of the double-wide trailer put me right beside their ceaseless barking. I peered to my left as my thumb unlocked the iPhone screen on the nightstand. 1.30 AM. I thought how I'd ask my dad about kenneling them on the porch, knowing he'd give me some excuse about them being necessary for our home. The first line of defense, our protectors, our alarm system. Looking back, we should have realized it then. To their credit, Daisy and Rose excelled at their duty. All manner of interloper received a billowing cascade of howls and barks on our property. I thought how scared a single raccoon, possum, or coyote must have felt when the sisters barreled into the tree line at them, shattering the peace of the night. The echoes that trailed through the woods gave every impression there were more than two guards. None stayed to find out. They often startled me awake when the pair flew off the porch in an eruption of sound. My room filled one corner of the trailer pointing east towards our driveway, the forest a dozen yards beyond. My uncle and cousin's hand built the pine porch that I unfortunately shared a wall with. I had no bed frame, my mattress on the floor next to my stubby, short nightstand. Over the years I'd learned the pattern of footsteps both inside our trailer and the outside porch. I could feel them. The heavy, boot-clad stomps of my father, the dainty steps of my little sister, the multiple light paws as the girls returned from driving off a would-be invader. 
I could identify everyone by their steps. The dog's normal process was broken these last few nights. Normally, once an intruder was identified, one of them would sound off. The second would answer the call, affirming backup. Together, they would drive with speed and resonant fury towards the enemy. They charged the trees, the interloper fled, the night returned to peace. We never had more than one incident per night, though it was always jarring when it occurred. This was different. For three nights straight, Daisy and Rose came alive with activity as soon as the evening dusk gave way to full darkness. They slept during the day now. Not naps, deep, full sleep to regain their strength from the prior patrol. Then together they prowled the edge of the black woods, low growls and occasional half-grunts ran the full duration of the night. More than once they would erupt in blistering, synchronized anger, but eventually returned to their tense surveillance. There were no more one-off encounters ended with a blitzkrieg of ferocious intimidation. It was hourly now, consistent. Whatever they drove off kept coming back. I rolled onto my back and stared at the lightly luminescent sticky stars on the ceiling. My baby sister and I found a bag of them at the local dollar store, and my father always melted under the combined pressure of his daughters. We initially agreed to split the bag between our rooms, but after putting half up in mine, she insisted we needed them all to make a real night sky. She slept in my room for a week straight after that, together looking at our tapestry of glimmering plastic. Our own little universe. I stared at them as the barking pushed further away, me silently hoping they'd continue into the distance for the remainder of the late hours so I could get some sleep. This is when my life changed forever. At first, I thought my exhausted mind played a trick. Reminiscing about building galaxies with my sister had pulled me away from reality, and the sharp, distant yelp brought me back. I sat up in my bed, held my breath, ears perked. The still far barking became high-pitched, strained, desperate. It was coming closer and, most noticeably, it was alone. At 15 I was probably too old to still wear the pink My Little Pony pajamas my aunt had got me for Christmas, but they were just too comfy. Clothed feet slid into loose flip-flops as I stood to make my way to the door. There was no doubt in the second yelp, followed by a hyper, stuttered half-bark, half-squeal. Much closer than before, practically in our driveway. It strained, struggled, then ended abruptly. For the first time in three nights, I finally got what I wanted, and it filled me with dread. Silence. I opened my door the same time my little sister opened hers. Her ten-year-old frame peeked nervously around the edge of her white door across from mine, eyeing me over the small gap that separated our rooms and led to the kitchen. Before either of us could step onto the five feet long, four feet wide landing of carpet that separated us, my father's shadow burst into the kitchen, shotgun in hand. Stay in your rooms, lock your doors, he commanded mid-stride, my mother's smaller frame quickly waddled behind him in a purple nightgown. He hit the front door with force, my room rattled as the wood slammed against the outer wall. I felt his steps hurriedly descend the five porch stairs and vanish into the drive. The glow from the now-lit overhead porch light illuminated a single yellow square from the front door's window. The light stretched down onto the linoleum to my right, 
Just past the dining table and landed next to the little gap between our rooms. Mom's shadow appeared in it a moment later, and I heard every lock we had latched beneath worried fingers. Mommy? My little sister asked with a child's innocence. Neither of us moved from our respective door cracks. Mom rounded the corner, hurried fingers fumbled with her phone. It's okay, Melissa. It's going to be okay, she said. She lied. It's hard to describe that square of light on the kitchen floor next to me. How it's burned into my memory. The front door was just around the corner from my room. It would be easy to take two rights and walk straight outside. To see the situation with my own eyes, to no longer linger in that tense confusion. I would not be able to see anything from the only window in my room, which faced south on long side of the trailer. Curiosity begun to get the better of me, but I stayed. Mom walked into my sister's room, attempted to comfort her and guide her back to sleep. As the oldest I received no such consideration, though I stood there along while as if expecting it. I could see their shadows moving inside Melissa's room, could hear their worried whispering. My heart sank when I felt the first step of When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The porch bend downward. The thought of it being my father vanished as the weight warped and popped the boards underneath its mass. My breathing halted again, but this time not by choice. Instinct froze me in place, paralyzed everything. A second, heavy footstep cracked the third board, completely skipped the second. I stared at that golden square of light next to me, anticipation and fear grew in equal amounts. The fifth porch step protested next, the boards buckled and twisted beneath monstrous weight. The contrast is what haunts me the most, I think. The shadows of my loving mom and sweet sister in a darkened, half-lit gloom across from my door. The hairy black shape that grew into the yellow square shining on the kitchen floor. I could see both, practically one in each eye. Comfort and love, unknown and horror. Things I cherished, and a thing I feared. Even from the silhouette I could tell the hair was coarse and all-encompassing. A large cone-shaped head rose from wide shoulders, I couldn't tell if it had a neck. Not much taller than my father, yet horrifyingly heavier. It faced through the window, unable to see any of us from the unlit kitchen and around the sharp corner. Luckily, we had turned on no other lights, but I wasn't sure if it could hear their muffled conversation, as quiet as it was. I found some courage at that, slowly opened my door wider, prepared to sneak over to them and lock ourselves inside Melissa's room together.
I heard a guttural, low growl, and somehow, I knew it was annoyed. It turned to its side, looked up. The shadow of its face was long, too long. What looked like large eyebrows fell into a flat nose, and a jaw that extended well down to its chest. I couldn't see the rows of teeth therein, but knew they were there. I couldn't think of a single animal with a large, oval-shaped head like that. Not even a mythical of one. With the twin sounds of a small grunt and glass breaking, the light from the porch vanished. The kitchen plunged back into near-complete darkness, taking the yellow square with it. I heard my mom and sister pause, finally aware something was out there. If they tried to look now, it would see them. I had to prevent that. My foot lightly touched the carpeted space between our doors. The entire trailer shook with a violent impact and a deafening, primitive roar. The front door slid past on the kitchen floor, buckled into the center and nearly split in half. Hinges, locks, glass, and splinters flew like insects, they ricocheted and clattered off every surface. Hanging lights and closed blinds swung as the entire trailer rocked on its foundation. Instantly I moved. Without thought, without choice. Somehow, I knew this was my one chance, a desperate and reactionary motion. To use this momentary chaos to mask my actions, a storm of sound to cover my own. I grasped my sister's door handle and slammed it shut, instantly retreated into my own room in the same motion and slammed mine as well. Only then did I register the massive, bloody footprint on the crumpled front door. I sat on the floor, back against the plain wooden door that would not save me. My breathing became a ragged mess. Shallow and still too noisy, even with both hands latched over my mouth. Head was dizzy, ears thumped from the hefty dose of adrenaline my brain flushed into every corner of my body. Yet, even then, the only clear thought that repeated in my mind was a desperate plea for my mother and sister not to scream. That thought scattered as a new material twisted and cried nearby, linoleum. A single, titanic foot crushed glass and tile underneath. Heavy, deep sniffs filled the kitchen with more curiosity than anger. Maybe we would be lucky, and the hungry nose would lead it to the pantry near the front. Maybe it would leave after gorging itself on potatoes, bread, and apple cinnamon toast crunch. I waited. Cool beads of sweat formed on my skin, back still pressed against the bedroom door. To their credit, my mother and sister could have vanished for all the sound they made. A second step bent the floor again as it fully entered our home. I considered running then. This was my best chance. I glanced at the trophies on the shelf, some toppled from the earlier impact. Most earned as the starter for the track and field relay race team with a few from various cross-country meets. I was fast. Surely faster than that huge thing. If I went now, I'd be within arm's reach of it only briefly, but the element of surprise was on my side. I could run straight through the trailer and head out the back door in the laundry room. It didn't know the layout inside, another advantage. This was the best time to lead it away. Then I could surely outrun that massive monster once I got it outside, right? My budding confidence exploded in the same manner the dinning table did. It slammed against the kitchen cabinets like a comet, shattering countertops, drawers, and itself in the process. 
It had taken both my father and uncle to move that heavy oak table up the porch steps and fandangle it through the door. Two men to move it, and this thing Jew. The muffled sound from my sister's room might as well have been a signal flare. The monster paused, enveloped itself in a hunter's silence. It, like me, held perfectly still. The single, accidental sob of a frightened ten-year-old girl ended as fast as it came. But it was noticed. I eyed my trophy rack, now considered which would be best to stab an eye, or wedge down an open throat. Even in my terror, if it went for my family, I would go down fighting to protect them. My hands glistened with sweat, the greenish light that my fake galaxy above reflected from them filled me with a faux bravery. A misplaced confidence to fight monsters with no training, no ability, and most importantly, no actual weapon. I'd need to improvise. If I coo. Fast. It was so fast. The monster moved with a speed unbefitting its weight. With two massive strides it was between our doors. This time the feet were maddeningly quiet, impossibly quiet. It did not keep the momentum through their door, instead it paused on the small, carpeted gap. I felt it lower itself, squatted into a crouch. Its breath was heavy, invasive. Horrible nostrils pulled at the air between us, and it waited. Quiet, patient. Again, I realized the only thing between me and it was an inch of hollow wood. My lungs halted completely when it rushed, but the rancid smell of its oily hide entered my nose anyway. My eyes watered, small tears formed in the corners. Dear God, please. It was huddled right behind me. I stared at my short nightstand and my phone. It seemed miles away. All my confidence, all my internal bravado, gone. Someone save me. Please God, don't let us be torn apart by this monster. I considered crawling for the phone but knew I could never do so without alerting it. I could picture that long face on the other side of my door, crouched low with matted hair atop powerful meat. Layers of primal muscle coiled into piles of potential violence, waiting for one of its victims to lose their composure. I wondered if it felt pleasure in that. Headlights pierced the edges of my south-facing window blinds, the sound of parting gravel heralded the approach of a large vehicle. Uncle Rick Silverado, had to be. He only lived a mile up the road. That's right, my mother had her phone with her. My cousin James was on leave from the military, he'd be with him for sure. A sensation of relief rose in me. Briefly, I knew when it noticed them. Its long breaths paused with realization. I felt its massive weight turn, still crouched next to me. Its bulk brushed against my door, hinges strained as it pushed inward against my back. That almost broke me. It stayed there, still low and waiting. It had to know I was here, it had to. Its breathing resumed, now much lighter and nasally, but still long. I planted my palm slowly and silently into the carpet with one of its inhales, trying mask my movement. I rooted my trembling limbs to the floor, tried to prevent them from shaking the wood behind me. God, we were leaning against the same door now. Three distinct slams echoed outside. An extra person I didn't expect, good. A mumbled conversation grew ever closer. Sudden terror gripped me as they approached the porch. I realized it was waiting. I had to warn them. 
I had to tell them it was in here. But how? My heart raced with the surety they were walking into an ambush. A horrifying awareness dawned on me then, knowledge of the beast's intelligence. Knowledge that only I possessed. Knowledge that more of my family walked into danger. I could scream, but it would kill me before any help could make it to me. I could run, try to jump through the window. It would take the monster a few moments to realize, and I would be able to warn my uncle outside. But if the glass didn't break, it would be through the door and rip me to shreds before anyone even got inside. I could sneak for the phone, the monster paying more attention to the men approaching now. But that was an assumption, a dangerous one, considering it continued to lean against the same door I did. The voices paused outside, the monster's breath matched. Silent moments passed, then the first boot hit the wooden step. It apprehensively approached the darkened, shattered doorframe on the porch. It was horrifying how lightweight that boot was. Two others ascended behind the first, three men in total. I could picture the raised rifles in front of scanning eyes, unsure if there was even a threat left. Wondering if it was a bear or a mountain lion. None of them dreaming of the monstrously strong beast awaiting them inside, ready to strike. I was running out of time. They were all going to die. We were all going to die. The first steps made it to the doorframe, Uncle Rick's voice whispered, holy shit. His boot crunched the shattered glass as he entered our kitchen cautiously. The monster took a deep, quiet inhale. Lungs filled with fuel to slaughter my family. Chills ran down my back in waves, coldness gripped all my organs, every pulse filled with ice, tears ran freezing trails down my cheeks, my teeth gritted in frustration. I looked up at the viridescent stars, thought of my sister. Hands clenched into trembling fists, numbness filled my muscles, but I made my choice. I screamed. Looking back, I think I wanted to say words, but they were panicked and flighty. I just remember my voice felt as a volcano in the Arctic, a rush of heat exploding out in defiance of the cold embracing every inch of me. A piercing, agonized screech of utter and complete fear birthed into the night air. The monster met my scream with a bellow of its own. It's ironic how some emotions permeate every language, even in nature. The staggered, wail was not of anger at its plan being foiled. Nor was it joy at one of its victims finally losing their composure during the hunt. It roared in pure, unadulterated shock. A hole appeared next to my head a second later. An explosion of splinters and anger entered my dim green galaxy. Large, gray fingers uncoiled from the fist they were a moment before, claws black and dirty, slick with blood still. Red, mangy hair covered the back of the hand and the entire forearm. The monstrous palm opened and swung inward towards my head. My entire body hit the ground in a curled ball. There were no more plans, there was nothing else I could do. I had cast the die now. I did all I could. Two of its fingers found purchase in the loose fabric of my pajamas, panic racked my everything as they curled into a grip. I pressed my back to the bottom of the door, screamed again. This time I was answered by a gunshot. Most people only know guns from movies. You see the hero shooting his pistol in a stairwell, or a tight corridor, or a submarine, then they have conversations with ease. Guns are not quiet. 
The first blast inside the trailer rattled my skull and replaced most of the sounds with a constant ringing. Though even that consistent, monotone chime didn't overtake the pained screech of the monster as its back hit my sister's door. Though my hearing was hampered and I dared not look through that hole, I could piece together some of what happened from the vibrations communicated through the trailer's floor. Mumbled shouts, more boots, the kitchen filled with challengers. The monster charged, its gate too large, too fast. It was on them. Gunshots pierced the ringing, made it worse. The floor trembled with collisions and mass. The wall beside me rattled with an impact. A weight thudded to the floor. It scampered and rose, returned to the fight. Dishes and glass shattered, cabinets warped, chairs broke, as did bones. Gunshots gave way to fevered screams and anguished roars. I hoped my warning had saved someone, anyone. Please say it helped. My trembling increased as the brawl ended. Newly gifted tinnitus masked the victor, and the floor had become depressingly silent. The only vibration was an odd, random shake that paused in irrational intervals. I rose slowly to peer through the hole in my door. What little I could see of the kitchen was destroyed, nearly every inch slicked in bright blood. The metallic tinge overwhelmed my nostrils. A large bloody splotch adorned the ceiling, red handprints on each side. One tan work boot laid on the counter, with two jagged, splintered bones still in it. Cabinets hung from the wall or were missing entirely, and a destroyed stool lay in a heap on the stovetop. Mangy red form rose from the other side of the small island. Coarse, ragged hair now matted in blood. It faced away from me, twisted and jerked. A horrifying rip pierced the ringing in my ears. The monster dropped something heavy on the kitchen floor. It landed with a flat, permanent thump. It stood to its full height slowly, and I could see its long, gray jaw move as it chewed. Yet, it seemed to wobble, reeled slightly. For the first time of the night, its footing felt unsure. As it turned back towards me, I ducked in realization. A promise from before, a vendetta not finished. It had won, and now it was time for revenge on the small creature that startled it. That ruined its crafty ambush, was to blame for every bit of damage and pain it felt now. I returned to my ball, this time with complete hopelessness. Panic overtook me, sobbing tears now a constant fight to keep silent. It was going to kill me, I was sure. It was going to eat me. The massive foot landed with wetness, blood so thick on the kitchen floor I could actually feel it. A second, less sure step landed after that but to my surprise it was headed towards the front door. It staggered, planted full weight behind each exhausted step. One footfall crunched glass near the doorway, then heavy knees collapsed down into tile. It held there a moment, then toppled forward, shaking the outer porch with the bulk of its torso landing with no resistance. Half inside, half outside, its ragged breathes large enough to vibrate through the floor now. Then, stillness. I waited. Out of fear, shock, disbelief. My mind raced as the weight of loss finally caught up to it. My dad, uncle, cousin. This wasn't supposed to happen to people, to entire families. After a minute I found my resolve as my rational mind regained control. I crawled to my phone on the nightstand. 
I palmed it in sweaty, quivering hands. My back leaned against the wall, the porch steps just on the other side. Waited for it to rise, to continue its rampage, but it didn't. A sob brewed as I looked at the family photo on my phone's background, typed the password in as pained wetness blurred the numbers. Exhaustion and anguish finally breaking the levy that held them this long. I can't describe the feeling when that solid, heavy foot crunched into the second porch step. Oh God. My hands moved in a blur, the message clear and direct. I stared at don't move until it confirmed as sent. Quietly I prayed mom would see it fast. The new monstrous feet climbed the stairs and paused in front of the first beast in our doorway. Impossibly, another set ascended after that. Two more. My screen lit up then, a message from mom, where are you? Before I could type, twin roars rattled the wall I leaned against. Primal, guttural, yet somehow more. Human. They continued for a solid minute, each paused only briefly, but never at the same time. Eventually they faded back into silence, my ears returned to a single, constant ring. Maybe they had descended into quieted grunts I was unable to hear. Maybe even tears. The weight of the dead one lifted with terrifying ease, and the two creatures descended the steps of the porch and back into the night. It was finally over. Mom and I texted back and forth. I told her to call 911 and I would stay put and warn her if those things came back. Even though I couldn't hear much, I could feel, and I was too close to this wall to risk calling for help myself. I couldn't hear well enough to speak with a dispatcher anyway. She texted me back that she had reached several family members and the police were already on the way. Looking back, she made the right choice. If she had panicked and called herself, we'd all be dead. A half hour went by before I had the courage to move to Melissa's room. I was finally sure they were gone. My mom sobbed uncontrollably as she hugged me tighter than she ever had. I told her and sister to not go out there. They didn't need to see any of that. Neither protested. Even traversing the tiny gap between our rooms scarred my heart forever. James's body was crumpled against the end of the island. One arm missing at the shoulder both orbital sockets replaced with a long, horizontal gash. His bottom jaw hung by one joint, unfortunately the one furthest from me. I got to see how few teeth remained in there. Didn't see my uncle or whoever the third person was, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go look for my dad, or Daisy, or Rose. I shut the door to the carnage, retreated in with my mom and sister, crouched in the corner with them. Fear. Grief, and injustice felt in silence for so long finally received voices. We bawled in huddled anguish. The pain of living, the guilt of surviving, we wept in victorious misery. It's been one year. Three things happened after that night, my baby sister lives with my ma in Seattle. My mother hasn't been sober since. And I've spent every day at Grandpa Murphy's. My father's father. A retired sheriff military vet, and self-proclaimed gun nut. He's taught me everything about them. Shooting, cleaning, sighting, calibrating. He got me a Remington 20-gauge shotgun for my 16th birthday. I'm ready to put it to use. I suppose you want to know the count. Everyone does. Dad was dead. I didn't hear how, didn't care too. 
my uncle Rick, my cousin James, and one of his military friends. I feel bad I forgot his name. All closed casket funerals, all heroes I never got to thank. Braving something monstrous and violent, while I hid away, worthless and pathetic. Laying in a ball as they died. Every single night I hear it breathing next to me. Every. Single. Night. I get to relive the screams, hear them die. Feel them die. I lay there every time, doing nothing. Maybe something as simple as grabbing its leg would have saved one of them. Maybe stabbing it with a relay race trophy could have saved them all. But that little girl so afraid to die that night, did. I'll never be helpless again. I dropped out of school after that. They had me on several medications I've stopped taking. They took my edge off, made me dull. I've been training with grandpa. Even in retirement he's maintained his fitness, still able to march up and down mountains on his bi-monthly hunting excursions I've been joining him on. We've practiced with rifles, small arms, close quarter fighting, and several months of Krav Maga. The last one is more for fitness and good for a young lady to know, grandpa says. He always apologizes to me. Says he wishes he would have been there. I do too, but he shouldn't feel that guilt. It wasn't his fault. There was a triple homicide somewhere east of Livingston. Being an ex-sheriff has its perks. Grandpa said to pack light. That's code for we will be moving a lot. It's finally time. My preparation is about to pay off. I'm taking my two favorite pistols, my Sour P320 and my Desert Eagle. I named them Daisy and Rose. Fitting, ironic, poetic. Call it whatever you want. This all started with a daisy and a rose barking in the night. It's gonna end that way, too. In the spirit of the spooky season, I've decided to share one of the paranormal stories my mom used to tell me. To give you some context, I come from a Mexican-American background. Although I was born in the United States, my parents were born in Mexico and spent most of their early years there. Here's one of the many eerie tales my mom would recount from her own childhood. My mother grew up in the Mexican countryside, on a ranch where houses were scattered far apart, and nighttime brought pitch black darkness due to the absence of streetlights. One day, she was walking to a party with her brother and sister in the early afternoon when it wasn't as dark yet. As they made their way through the remote area, my mom happened to glance up at the sky and noticed a mysterious light moving about. She kept this sighting to herself, knowing all too well that it was rumored to be a witch, a common belief in many parts of Mexico. They get to the party and enjoy the party, momentarily forgetting about the odd sight. However, when the party ended around midnight, they began their journey back home through the now pitch-black countryside. Halfway there, the inexplicable light appeared in the sky once more, and this time, her siblings also saw it. They continued walking in silence, not daring to mention the eerie sight to one another. Then, out of the blue, my mom tripped and turned to look behind her, catching a fleeting glimpse of a mysterious lady. Almost instantaneously, the figure transformed into a glowing light and ascended into the sky, all of this happening in a matter of seconds.
Let me begin by apologizing if this story is confusing or hard to follow. The events I'm about to describe were just as perplexing in real life, making it challenging to convey the exact sequence of occurrences. I was 16 years old, sharing a pull-out bed with my 12-year-old cousin at our beach house. Up until that point, I had never experienced anything paranormal at this location. One night, around 2 am, I awoke to find my cousin sitting upright, staring at the floor next to the bed with wide, unblinking eyes. Concerned, I asked if she was okay, but received no response. I followed her gaze, and that's when I witnessed something that I can only describe as an elf-sized shadow figure, approximately two feet in height, moving from right next to her to the other side of the room. This shadow figure appeared three-dimensional until it reached the wall, at which point it transformed into a two-dimensional shadow and maneuvered around the corner into my parents' bedroom. I hurriedly followed its path but found no trace of it in the room. My cousin still sat there, wide-eyed and jaw-dropped. I shook her gently, and she woke up, seeming somewhat confused. I inquired if she had just seen what I had, and to my astonishment, her description matched precisely what I had witnessed. She mentioned that she couldn't move or make any noise. My immediate thought was that this might be sleep paralysis, as I had experienced it before and the situation was reminiscent of it. However, the puzzling aspect was that, if it was indeed sleep paralysis, why could I see her experiencing it? To this day, we make jokes about the elf in the beach house, but deep down, I believe it still unsettles both of us to some extent. Have any of you had a similar experience? It was a tiring day in my college. It was a hot summer evening. I had just returned to my dorm room. My roommate and I had separate rooms and one common room or kitchen. I found that he wasn't there, so I didn't lock my room and just fell asleep. It was around 8 or 9 pm. I later started to wake up, feeling restless and having a blurry vision. My room was extremely hot even though the fan was on and the window was open. I took off my shirt and drank water from my water bottle. I checked the time, and it was exactly 1.11 am. I felt something was wrong and tried to stand up. Suddenly, I got pulled up from the bed by my leg. I jumped back to my bed, all confused, and pressed myself against the wall. Still not fully conscious, I knew something was wrong. I tried to shout and call my roommate, but before I could do anything, I got slammed again into the opposite wall, this time by my shoulder. It felt like someone was trying to drag me into the wall by my shoulder, and my bedroom door opened. I got dragged into an empty void. Now, I woke up, entirely covered in sweat. I didn't have a shirt on, and my water bottle had fallen on the floor, but my door was closed. I was still confused and scared about what happened, and I had a bruise on my shoulder. I checked the time again it said 1.10 am. I was too scared to sleep alone after that, so I went to my roommate, who was still online and playing games on his laptop. I tried talking to him, but he was too busy playing games. I ride my bike, and one night I worked a night shift. My ride home is through a giant field with a road going through it. 
People will often abandon cars here for one reason or another. So as I'm biking home, I see this abandoned car with nobody inside of it. Just to note, it was there when I started my shift and the inside was almost completely gutted from thieves and whatnot. And one headlight was dangling out of the car. This time at night, after I passed both headlights turned on at 10.30 pm. It freaked me out and I rode my bike home as fast as possible and locked all the doors to my house. It could have been thieves but I saw no one around or in the car when the lights turned on. The weirdest thing I've seen. It was back on September 24, 2015. I was on vacation. I decided to take a little road trip to Northwest Nevada and go to a campground. I've been to it a few times before. I got there well after dark. I set up a campfire, so I had some light. Put up a little one-man tent, pulled out my chair, but, maybe been sitting there 10 to 15 minutes, watching the fire, watching the stars. Nothing better than the stars out there in Nevada. I was only sitting there maybe 10 to 15, maybe 20, minutes and off to the west, out the corner of my eye, I seen something flash bright. I looked in that direction off to the west and as I was looking that way, something flew, there's a kind of small mountain range over there, a tall hill, something bright yellow flew up above the mountain and it was flying so fast, it looked like a giant M. It left a trail and I've never seen anything like it but I went to my truck, grabbed my phone, and hit record on the video, I was going to go back over to my chair to sit down in it, kind of brace my arms, and get a good steady hold on my camera. While I was was moving the chair the video was already going. I was trying to watch that direction to see if it flew out from behind the mountain. While I was looking over there, I noticed an orange orb, you know, there have been lots of reports of those. I've actually seen one of those up close and personal a few years before that. That's another story, but I held up the camera started filming that orange orb and in the video it looks white for some reason. It was hovering. When I started filming, it shot down towards the ground came to a quick stop. It zigzagged and then shot more towards the ground and then it kind of got out of sight, then they got they got close to the ground before I lost sight of it. Then that bright yellow object behind the mountain kind of flew off to the southwest, kind of towards where the orange orb was. They moved way too fast and it jumped from point to point. A bright yellow craft. When it was about halfway about the middle of my sighting, something flew out of the back of the bright yellow object. It was wedge-shaped and the yellow object zigzagged, much smaller. I can only see with my eye for a fraction of a second but in the video, the bright yellow one headed to the southwest direction. Then it turned off towards space and jumped back and forth and it was out of sight. Because of what I'd seen, I kept filming for like two and a half minutes total, just holding the camera still. Later on, when I got back, I watched the video, I don't know how many hundreds of times, but you could see that wedge-shaped craft come in and out of the frames in different areas at different times. There was at least three, if not four or five, things out there flying around and they were kind of zigzagging across this valley area. I reported the sighting to MUFON, but they never got back to me.